0: Welcome to Giving Connected, presented by Paisa Giving. We're happy you're able to join us today. Giving Connected was created to bring awareness to great nonprofits around the country. Go ahead. Hey, everybody! Um, thank you, thank you for joining on. We're excited to be interviewing the transfer coordinator uh, for Operation Pause for Homes Rescue, Janine Hey Janine, how's it going?
1: good thanks for having me today
0: yeah and it, we're excited to have you on um it's such a such a cool nonprofit. you know there's so many different so many different uh nonprofits are doing it but you know once i think when we were me and prince are looking you know through all the nonprofits, we look through the list you know and, and seeing the people you know if you go to their social media for different go to different pages you know they such good support you know from people so really excited to have you on. Um, and kind of before we jump into it, um, let's talk a little bit about you. Um, you know, where did you where did you, where did you grow up? Um, what did you go for school for? And did you ever see yourself, you know, helping or volunteering, working for a nonprofit?
1: So actually, I'm a local to Northern Virginia. I grew up in Sterling, and now I'm in Alexandria, so I'm not too far. And that's where the rescue is, I think, officially based. So I went to school in Pennsylvania. I stayed up there for my undergrad and grad degrees, which are basically Bachelor of Health Sciences and then Physician Assistant Studies. So I'm a Physician Assistant in my day job, working orthopedic surgery. So that keeps me pretty busy. And I am fortunate enough to do some nonprofit work through the practice I work for now. So that was kind of a natural segue for me, maybe into this. I've always had interest in doing what I found myself doing now, but didn't think maybe I could find the time or the role do it appropriately, so at work we have something called Operation Walk, where it's like a Doctors Without Borders. We travel to other countries and find people in need and, and do a bunch of joint replacement surgery for them. So, I'm fortunate to do that since 2009.
0: What is it about um, the nonprofit, you know, field and the work that really, you know, intrigues you? Like, what really brought you in? What kind of gets you going every single time that you know you're working every single day um, at a nonprofit?
1: Well. For now, I've always had an interest in dogs. I've always been that person who sees somebody walking and is like, can I pet your dog? And, you know, I think we're all pretty like-minded yeah. like that. I absolutely love animals, specifically dogs. And that this was a natural fit for me now, in addition to still doing my day job. But I think in general, with either volunteer work or nonprofits and what I've been fortunate to be involved with is no matter what I'm doing, I always feel like I get more than I give. So whether it is helping someone with surgery in a, in another country who literally has nothing and they want to give me the shirt off their back or the bracelet off their wrist or something like that as a thank you. You know, the, the feeling that you get is really the, the biggest advantage. You know, the, the animals I get to work with now and I'm on the dog side, we also do cats, but you know, they don't have any other advocate. So, you know, I try to be an advocate for them. And it's, it's just really rewarding to see kind of the change in these animals when we first get them and how quickly they evolve, evolve and adjust and and really the benefit that they have just from having a little bit of love. So you don't need much, I think, to volunteer. I mean, same thing with humans. It's just, if you show you care, you get a little bit of time and effort, what you always receive, at least for me is, is more than I give.
0: Yeah, and I think that we we've said that in pet podcasts and, and with the last one of the three my starting children is that you know especially in these situations you get so much more than you ever get right. I think it's w- one of those things, and I totally resonate on you and the point about when you see a dog. I it's hard for me <laughs> to not control myself and, and kind of pet it. So, um, hundred percent with you on that. Um, so. Uh, talking about OPH Rescue, could you just tell us about that? How the history
2: of the organization? How did it get started? And you know, just kind of clue our listeners into what the main focus of OPH Rescue is.
1: Yeah, sure. So OPH is Operation Pause for Homes, and it's all volunteer based. And most of our volunteers are from North Carolina up till basically Central PA. It started in 2010 with two women who were really passionate about. Saving dogs, they took some trips down, uh, saw some shelters in the South and decided they were going to start something. So it's obviously grown since then for slowly and especially last year, very quickly. So, I mean, last year alone, we did about 1600 dogs and cats and lifetime we've done over 11,000 animals that we've saved, which is a, a pretty big deal starting that small and just with, you know, a passion.
0: Yeah. And I, yeah, I think it's, it's so cool. I think, um, if people go to their their website, ophrescue.org, you can kind of go through the different sections and there's one that, you know, um, cats and dogs. Right. But it's really yeah. cool. Like if and this kind of goes into my next question about like um, the dogs. So you can see different dogs or different cats right there. And and kind of how does that process work? If you see a dog that you really like, um, there are a lot of cute dogs out there. But um, if you did see a dog or a cat on there that you really like, how does that adoption process really work?
1: So you can apply to adopt an animal, whether you see one on the website that you want, or if you're just thinking about the idea. So I've had some friends and neighbors since i become involved say, hey, you know, we're thinking about looking or not sure about the timing. I encourage everybody to apply for adoption first, even if they don't know exactly which animal they, they might have interest in. And we have a couple positions, which... I also do some reference checking. So one volunteer will pick up their application and check a bunch of references of other friends or family. If they have other animals, check the vet's office for records to make sure they're up to date. If they're in an apartment, make sure the landlord is okay with it, things like that. The HOA rules if they live in a community. And after their references are checked, then they will be placed to an adoption coordinator. So that's another role that we have. The adoption coordinator will basically pick up their application and in that see, is there a specific dog they're looking for, or maybe they want a, I think the very popular one is a 40 ish pound female dog. And they'll look through the list of dogs that we currently have, or possibly the ones that we know we're going to be bringing up from shelters in the next two to four weeks. And they can place those adopters on a waiting list for those dogs so that when those dogs arrive and we get more information about them, they can see if they think that will be a good match. The adoption coordinator has a huge role in being both an advocate for the animal and the adopters to make sure it's a really good match. So they're kind of working very much behind the scenes, but they play a big role for us.
2: Yeah, it's really cool that you guys are able to... um work with people that way and just be able to kind of facilitate the adoption process. Um, that way I think like, obviously like rescuing animals, especially if they're in like a troubled situation and being able to like provide them with a good home is something that, um, is definitely important. And, uh, for sure something that I think a lot of people probably know about the need to do yeah. that right, but not everybody acts on that, Yeah, you know, on that right. knowledge.
0: And I think that's a, it's a good point. I think um, on the website as well, there's something um, called the 7,000 miles home, um, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And I, it, it talks about, you know, there's a lot of, you know, me and Prince are both from India. And then there's a lot of dogs, you know, free range dogs on the streets of India. And they, you know, a lot of them are sick, you know, injured. So, you know, reading that, you know, they help, you know, get them, care for the pets and kind of help them find a home and it's just really cool you know in the u.s there's there's issues there's so many issues in different countries as well so i think it's you know that kind of multi-national kind of level of thinking is really cool and i think that's something that you know really um really got to me
2: Yeah, that's really awesome. So obviously in this last year, uh, you know, with the pandemic, I think every organization, especially nonprofit organizations have faced a lot of struggles and a lot of challenges. So I guess for OPH, what was the biggest challenge they faced maybe as an organization, um, like within COVID and then even beyond COVID?
1: You know, for us, we had a lot of positive out of COVID. So I think we're all very thankful for that. So we had a lot of people, myself being one of them, who came on to officially foster because I wasn't working the same hours as I was in the medical field and surgery itself got shut down. I actually found myself with more time and that's when I jumped right in and said, you know, I can take these dogs and foster and have them in my home and give them the attention. So we set a record number last year for how many dogs were able to foster adopt and the number of fosters that joined. So that was one very big positive of COVID. The challenge to that is getting every up, everybody up to speed um, safely so that when you have new fosters, you know, we have a significant process where we have our references checked and we fill out an application. Plus we have to do onboarding calls. We do some training on modules online, just to make sure that we're all on the same page that, you know, we can do this safely and for the benefit of the dog. You know, a lot of shelter dogs get bad routes for being either too shy or too aggressive, or, you know, people say, oh, sometimes I want a purebred from a puppy so I know exactly what I'm getting. So we do have some dogs, which we know as they come will be a little bit more shy, but all of our cats and dogs are tested with other animals. So we'll know in advance if we have a dog who's likely not going to be a good dog with others and we'll need to be the only dog in the home or something like that. But getting everybody onboarded was probably one of our biggest challenges. And I remember last year, the first adoption I did, we didn't know really what COVID was at the time. So instead of passing off papers, you know, the paper medical records and the paper charts, if you will, for the dogs, we were doing a lot of emailing. So that kind of forced us to go more electronic than we already were in a short timeframe. And we were putting papers in bags, giving it to the adopter, you know, leave it a distance thing, masks, and also, you know, telling the doctor, don't open that for three days. We don't know if germs are on the papers. So we were we're trying to stay very socially cognizant and, and respectful of not knowing exactly what COVID was at the time, but that, you know, very big positive of having a lot of people come was also presented some new challenges, which we figured out, I think fairly quickly.
0: Yeah. yeah. Go, ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say I think um it's so different for every nonprofit, right? I think it, it the the level of complexity is so different. Um, you know, if especially if it's more virtual, you know, it's like the way you're doing it, it's, it's different, right? I think it's so important that, you know, adapting is adapting to the situations is different. And I think one one interesting interesting element was, you know, I, I know you guys have events that you guys do like uh, adoptions and like events at yeah. certain locations. Was that completely shut down and then now it's kind of coming back up?
1: Exactly. So the adoption events were shut down, you know, we couldn't do anything social, which we love to do, and we have a good outcome, I think we're just starting to get back into that now, we have a 5k fast and furry race that we do every year as a um, you know, as a moneymaker for us, because Mm -hmm. we're 100% based on volunteer donations, we don't have any government funding in any way. So we really rely on the donations and generosity of others to support us. So without some of those things, we were a little concerned. But, you know, the other trouble that came out of it was where we get, you know, our our dogs from was unfortunate that a lot of people were letting their dogs go or bringing them to the shelters because they couldn't afford to keep them or things like that. And those are the better stories. You know, some people just let them go and they're found out as strays, which the one out of 10 fosters I kept last year is a great guy. And he, he was found as a stray. I I don't know his story. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll never know the background, but there were a lot of dogs in need last year as people's life circumstances changed. And that was, I think one of the negatives of COVID for some people.
0: Yeah. And something sad that I I heard recently is that I heard, you know, people would adopt dogs last year and now because everything's going back to normal, they are sending it back to, you know, shelters and stuff because, you know, life is normal and they're going back to work and stuff. So hopefully that's not the case for a lot of places that, you know, that is happening, but
1: Right. We've been fortunate so far in in our contract that we have with the doctors. If anything changes with circumstances, we say if something doesn't work out, even if it is years down the line please call us. We want want our OPH dog back. We will get a new foster. We'll work on getting the dog a new home. So we don't want to find our dogs in shelters here or in a bad situation. So we always ask for our dogs back if uh, there's any issues short-term, long-term with the adoption. We try to place them, like I said, very carefully. And so we don't have that issue. We do a couple meet and greets with both the dog and, and the current foster and the potential adopter just to make sure things hopefully go well and on rare cases if there's any concern with the dog we'll even do a trial adoption for 30 days sometimes just for allergies or you know any any extenuating circumstances So we try to be flexible and avoid that but it is kind of a sad situation that that has happened.
2: yeah it's pretty interesting if you think about it like with the pandemic shutting things down and people working from home, I'd imagine like there's probably a large group of people that were like, oh, I could like take care of a dog and they wanted the companionship. So they like had a dog. Right. And now as things are opening, they're like going they like no longer may want that dog. So they're like letting it go or kind of giving it back up for adoption. But then on the other side of it, there's probably people who are like working from home. Maybe they, it's and they don't have like that extra income so they can't afford to take care of. Um, you know, a, a pet. And so they're letting it go or giving it up for adoption. So it's interesting. It's like both sides of like right. what the pandemic has caused.
1: The Nice thing too, about what OPH does for fosters is so when I decided to foster, I was actually furloughed last year for a couple of weeks. And so I knew I had no income coming in, but I really wanted to do this. And OPH is very well run. So we use our money very responsibly, but all of our dogs that come up have been spayed or neutered. Unless we take a pregnant mom dog who we know is imminent to give birth and, and we get her taken care of later, but I don't have to pay to have a foster. So we are very very fortunate that all of our fosters are given the supplies we need, whether it be dog beds, we get foods, we get all of the preventatives for the dogs. So they have their Advantix, they have deworming medicine, they have supplements when they come. So all the dogs have literally been vetted within the week that we bring them up to foster. And we're set up with everything that we need as fosters. So again, during the pandemic, when we had so many fosters coming on somewhere in the same situation as me thinking, you know, can I do this and spend more money on fostering a dog? If I don't know when my next paycheck is coming, but the pH is great to set up the fosters with, you know, whatever we may need. And we have our own online community where, you know, someone down the street might say, Hey, I have a new foster. I'm about to be out of food. And someone will say, Oh, I'll bring some over or, you know, something like that. So we're, we're, really lucky. I think that's one of the unique things about OPH that I've not found as I looked into other places to foster with even last year.
0: Yeah. It's awesome. It eliminates that barrier, right? To, for somebody to not, yeah. you know, it kind of reduces the barrier. Yeah. 100%. That's
2: exactly. Really cool. So obviously you guys have a lot of ways. I'm sure that uh, people can get involved, but for our listeners, can you just kind of tell us what are the best ways for them to support you guys? Um, what's the best way for them to get connected with you?
1: So as you mentioned, our website, ophrescue.org, has a lot of information on how to volunteer. If you want to make a donation, sometimes you might not be in the situation to foster or adopt a dog, but some of our dogs online, people have gone on and, and made a donation as a person. So, you know, if there's a dog on there that I maybe was thinking about, but I'm concerned about financials or something actually someone can go and sponsor the dog. So when you adopt the dog, the dog already has a sponsor. That's one way that sometimes people donate to support a dog, but we have any number of roles, both all from home, on the computer, doing reference checking, you know, as you get more experience, people love to be adoption coordinators and actual fosters. Another thing that I do is I'm a, what we call transport concierge, which is very fancy. But as we bring dogs up, we have three stops. So one in kind of central Virginia, one up here in Northern Virginia and one in Maryland. And so we try to have a couple volunteers or transport concierge members who can be fosters or adopters or you know anything to be there at the stop. We'll help organize everybody who's there, talk with some of the new fosters if they have any questions, we'll help pass out supplies, we'll help take the dogs off the van, make sure everybody is safe because some of these dogs when they come are very frightened. So you want to make sure, you know, they're in good hands and, and sometimes you just need an extra set of hands. So there's plenty of ways to get involved. We have people do social media. We have people do graphics. So, you know, you don't even have to leave your home to volunteer and you can do it on your own time. So I check references when I happen to have the time but there's some people who do it more continuously, but there's, there's really a lot of opportunity, you know, to get involved physically remotely, you know, one of our most famed volunteers who I appreciate so much actually has moved from this area and is out in Arizona and she does so much for the, for the nonprofit. So we're really lucky to have people all around that, uh, that help us out.
0: Yeah. There's so many ways. I mean, you can't give, right, there's so many ways, like, you just outlined that you know, people can help um, support in any way. I think it's even if you, you know, work a full-time job, right, it's, it's still a, something that you can, you know, work on a, a schedule and still, it's do, flexible. Yeah, yeah. It's still do your part. Right? So, and I think even, even it's so awesome. I think even um, when you talk about your website, I think everyone should just take a look, right, even go to some of those pages. You know, I, I um, you know, making sure the research, I had gone to OPH and, and, and kind of looked and I saw... Um, I think I don't remember the dog's exactly name but it was like Kingsley Shacklebolt, Bolt or something. Yeah, yeah. And, Kingsley
1: Shackle. Well, we had our Harry Potter theme. Yeah, yeah. And it was
0: such a such a cute dog, you know. And I and it's it's like then I was like looking through the things. And it was really really cool. And I think if you're ever thinking about it, if you have that, you know, responsibility, it's something you can really really awesomely do. So, with our last question, something that we really like to ask is, um, you know, through the mission so far and what you guys have done, um, you know. In the future, do you guys expect it to expand, be more refined? How, how does the future look like?
1: It's always our goal. The more dogs and cats and animals we can save, the better. I think we have a, a good balance where we understand that we want to save them all and we do as much as we can without, you know, I never feel guilted if I say I can't take a foster right now. I'm either traveling or I'm working 12 hours every day, but that's where we do have the advantage to work together. So the bigger the network and the team, Mm -hmm. I think the better it is, you know, if I have a dog and I'm going on a vacation where I can't bring the dog, or if the dog needs to go to the vet for any reason and I'm at work, we have also transport uh, assistance where someone will come and pick up the dog and take them to the vet and bring them back. And someone has done that for me in the past and it made a huge difference. So, you know, even if a dog needs to get from point A to point B, someone else will just say, oh, I'll go pick up the dog and drive it. And that's their entire role. So they can do that as they seem fit. And, you know, anything we can do. I also am a boarding buddy. So I'll visit any dogs if they end up in boarding or assist with any adoptions there. We try to keep dogs out of boarding. So it's extremely rare. Most of our dogs or all of our dogs are taken right from shelters and brought into our personal homes and staying with a foster. So we don't have kind of a home base or a shelter up here it's it's all of us so the bigger the network gets the the better we can be you know as a team we can save more animals that way and and kind of do best by them so i think we're always passionate about growing and and trying to do more but it's it's been wonderful over the past year to see how many people have come into the organization
0: yeah and i think that's that's pretty awesome that you guys take it i mean then you don't have overhead of a facility, right? That you have to do and pay for as well. You can, you can continue to put all that, um, and and kind of what you've spoken about having all those fees taken out is so big, right? I think, and I yeah. keep thinking about that as uh, for a lot, I know it's expensive adopting or getting from a shelter as well. So, um, kind of eliminating that overhead is 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 awesome. Yeah. yeah, and
1: all the all the dog fees that you know we ask for the dog, it's it's a donation. So you make a donation to OPH for the quote fee of your dog. And that kind of turns itself right around and helps pay for the next one.
2: Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, like not only are you rescuing a dog, but like anything that you're paying is actually going back to help another dog be rescued and kind of facilitate the mission that you guys have. I think that's a really great model that you guys have built. Yeah. Yeah, but um, Janine, we just want to thank you for joining us today and uh, just telling us a little bit about uh, OPH Rescue. And um, we'd encourage you all to check out their website and um, go and support them and uh, get connected with them.
1: Thank you guys so much for having me and spotlighting us. I really, really appreciate it.
0: Yep. Thanks, Janine.
2: Hey guys, we just want to thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast today with OPH Rescue. It's really cool to be able to learn about their organization and uh the mission that they have to rescue and foster dogs and uh, provide a better home for uh
0: animals, dogs and cats. Yeah, I think it's um, you know, a nonprofit that does good work and I think as they, they said, you know, it's all the funds and everything they're trying to do is trying to maximize the amount of dogs that get adopted, right? So Um, definitely important i I would check out the website check out the social media and kind of um, see uh, the dogs and the cats that are uh, needing to be adopted
2: yeah we'll have links to their website and their social media in the description of this podcast as well as a uh, contact information for giving connected as well
0: and next week we'll be talking to bunkers in baghdad Uh, you can find that episode available next monday this has been joel and
1: prince with giving connected